So here we are uh, today with Jay Brynas, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Holyoke Health Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Welcome. Great to be here. Great Dan. to have you yeah. with us. Uh, uh, I've been doing these interviews now for several days here in Chicago uh, and going back to the Policy and Issues Forum to discuss the history of health centers. And the wonderful thing about that history, as you all know, Jay, because you've been through many years um, and many different experiences in the health center family, is that the story of each health center is unique unto itself. It is, it is from the ground up, uh, it's a local history. Yes, the federal funding and the Medicare and Medicaid payments, et cetera, uh, came in and assisted and enabled you to achieve what you've been able to achieve at Holyoke. But Holyoke didn't get started out of Washington, D.C. or even out of Boston. Uh, it really is a, a local story, and that's what we want to evince from you, uh, and also your own life in the health center family. And that's where I want to begin, uh, with, uh, because you've done some spectacular things over the years, uh, including most recently with the uh, delivery of uh, goods and supplies to folks in Puerto Rico, assistance in getting some of them off the island after the hurricane hit, et cetera. Uh, what motivated you in the beginning uh, to want to pursue a career such as what you've had with health centers? Um, you know, I was um, started off uh, a year after Woodstock, so since we were in the Woodstock uh, celebration year, <laughs> yeah, I, my, my wife and I were both at Woodstock, we weren't married then, but that's the era I'm coming from, okay, so my ponytail and my, my bell-bottom jeans and all that stuff, uh, <laughs> finishing up college. And uh, so was it Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Nash that uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah, definitely <laughs> so uh, but so New York City at that time I was living in New York City going to school urban school Hunter College and um, finishing uh, essentially my second master's my, my master's degree in molecular biology and molecular I was, and I was biology. doing some work with the Red Cross and hemophilia wow. sort of stuff but I was disenchanted with the the academic kind of structure that it had and the, the focus on, you know, writing papers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And New York City was falling apart at the time. That was uh, a low part of New York City. Um, a lot of people sleeping on the streets, you know, in bad, bad shape, drug overdoses and things. Mm -hmm. and, and a cousin of mine actually had uh, significant drug issues during that time. So I kind of started to realize, you know, if I'm not going to stay in the heavy sciences, maybe I'll go into public health end of it. So I switched into a health planning program urban health planning mm -hmm. and um, so I finished that and uh, my wife and I decided uh, well she decided we're not gonna stay in New York City anymore it just wasn't comfortable <laughs> and uh, we wound up in Vermont of all places and I started to work with the Vermont Public Interest Research Group and I was assigned to start a children's dental health program for Mont Montpelier uh, from Vermont kids and the initiative behind this was this young guy named Bernie Sanders, who was uh -huh. a little bit less scruffy than I was, but was running on, a whole on, lot. The, on the Liberty Union ticket uh, against the Democrat-Republican for governor. He observed, and his message hasn't changed in all the years he's been talking, the disparities in income and access to services. And he pointed out that this was the time that 
Vermont was developing into ski areas and second homes and, you know, a fair amount of wealth coming into Vermont uh, for second homes. But the farmers' kids were still struggling with no dental care. Um, they were land rich but cash poor and yeah. not, not a lot of dentists in Vermont, in Vermont at all, quite frankly. And so the kids were struggling, and Bernie identified that, and then the, the Democrat-Republican guys each one up, oh, I'll do even better than Bernie will do, and, and uh, so everybody was going to do dental care. So I was the dental researcher at VPIRG, <laughs> so I said, said, put a dental plan together, because there's going to be a dental plan, apparently. So I wrote what became known as the Tooth Fairy Program, and it was passed into law eventually at the end of that year, after a lot of lobbying. And so all of a sudden there I was. In, developing health services, and it was surprising that I was in dental as well, because I never thought I'd be connected to dentistry in some way. Interesting enough, in my 40-plus years in the health center world, I've always promoted strong dental programs, probably because I cut my teeth verbally, you know, sure. uh, pardon the pun, on that uh, issue. It took, it took the rest of the healthcare world, and even the health center world, <clears throat> almost 40 years to catch on. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you were out there in front of the parade, uh, leading it yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, and it was uh, it was great to get involved with the government. You know, Vermont's the kind of state, so when I announced my plan on the VPIRC, we knocked on the governor's door, walked in and said, here's the plan, governor, because Tom Salmon was the Democratic governor who won. And he said, so you, you, know, you committed to do it, and we've taken the time to put one together for you, and here it is. And she could literally walk right into the offices. So uh, politics in Vermont, was very one-on-one, uh, you know, -on -one and um, it got me to be somewhat aware of how politics works and how you can get things done. Mm -hmm. So somehow I quickly got to a health center program um, in Plainfield, Vermont, uh, which is now called the Health Center. It used to be part of Goddard College, and I was hired yep. to be the executive director of the health center. And uh, I've never been away from the health center since. So from 1976 on, I've been working in health centers. Yeah. Um, and so interesting, I had this urban health background, but my life is now growing up in the, in the rural health world, uh -huh. and, which was fine, and you know, a lot of things are not really any different, other than intensity, maybe. So I stayed there for a while, then I came to a rural part of western Massachusetts, worked at the um, Worthington Health Center, which was a um, locally funded health center with some, you know, Middle-class people that realized they had geographic isolation. They, it wasn't that they didn't have money, they just didn't have um, physicians in the area. So the health center was a way of attracting physicians. So I, I ran that for a couple of years. And I always had my eye on Holyoke as a community, which is 15 miles away from the Worthington site. And being a Brooklyn boy, Holyoke had a lot of Brooklyn characteristics that I liked. And I uh, tried to move over to Holyoke, which I ultimately started in 19... 94 to be uh, the CEO of the health center in Holyoke. And uh, what's interesting about Holyoke, talking about diversity, uh, it's, um, at this point, it has the highest concentration of Puerto Ricans of any community outside of Puerto Rico, by percentage, not by number. Yeah. New York City's got more Puerto Ricans than Holyoke. Yeah. But by percentage, it's an overwhelmingly Puerto Rican community. But in 1970, late 70s, when the health center was being founded, and even before the candidate that was the CEO before me, the job description that they were looking for was somebody who can be bilingual in English and French. Because he was a French Canadian with a low income population of Holyoke until in the 70s it started to transition. But in the 50s and the 60s, it was French Canadian 
poor folks coming down from Quebec, uh -huh. working the, in the mills of Hoyo. There was paper mills and silk mills. So the health center always had orientation towards the needs of that community. And I think like the, the NAC movement, you know, we need to change as the community changes. And I, I could just look at Holyoke. I wasn't there at that time, but when I first showed up, it was just transitioning into a Spanish-oriented community. But before that, it was French-Canadian, low-income. And before that, there were Italians. Before that, there were Portuguese. And so, sure. so it was always an ethnic wave coming in for whatever the issues were uh, that, uh, that you know, the economy required or the economy supported. So, I, so the uh, opportunity to slide into Holyoke and to um, have this very eclectic kind of community that's now going Spanish, but it's still on up and rising. There's a lot of you know endemic racism in the community. The old fathers of Holyoke were the Irish. That was the founding group, mm -hmm. and they didn't want those kids in these schools with our tax dollars. And yeah. so the investments started to dry up. And the, the Irish kids were going to the Catholic schools, and the, the school system fell apart. And so it's 25 years later, that's what I'm dealing with still. It's, it's you know, the, 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 nobody remembers the French Catholics at the time, although one of my first nurses that were hired by the health center before me was uh, Donna Larocque, a French-Canadian woman who still works for us today. So she's, Seriously. She's, she's wow. in her, uh, she's about to retire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so I think we're still working with the, the, the population growth. And, and the other issue, interesting thing about Holyoke, which sets me apart from a lot of my colleagues, is that we have the strong um, diversity and um, cultural identity of this Latino community, but they're all Puerto Rican, which means they're all citizens. So yeah. we don't have some of the issues of undocumented, although we're seeing Central America, you know, other communities migrate in more and more. But we are a, a sort of a pure play, you know, U.S. citizen, health center-driven program, and we don't have to... Um, focus some of our energies on some of these other important issues because we don't have as much of that, but we have a lot of poor Latino communities that we have to serve. Uh -huh. And I think that's what our commitment has been to improve services, improve outcomes, and, and engage ourselves in the community in every way possible to, to make that happen. Let me ask you, let's go back to Vermont, the early days, Plainfield, <clears throat> and then even in Worthington. Um, what did you take away from your experiences there? Um, in terms of the importance of the health center to the local community and your work and your focus while you were there? You know, it, every site is unique, as uh, we all know, and there were total different uh, dynamics at work at each of them. The Plainfield community truly was a grassroots effort. It's the most grassroots effort I've ever seen. Um, mm -hmm. And there was an infirmary at Goddard College taking care of the kids, the small number of college kids that went to Goddard, a small college. And yet you had the farm families in the area that didn't have access to health care. But these kids that came up to Goddard, we made sure there was a doctor on the campus for them. Yeah. So the progressiveness of the Goddard College community said, this isn't fair. We need to open up the infirmary to the community. So the infirmary was opened up to the community. So we really started. I got there. I was hired. We were still contracted to work for Goddard College but we were moving away towards independence from the college. The college was having financial difficulties, we were growing, and it was, everybody was going in different directions. Mm -hmm. So the, the health center in uh, Plainfield, true democracy was uh, the board of directors, and they may or may not pass muster with 330 guidelines today, 
was elected by six towns. Each town elected two board members, mm -hmm. and that's who the board of directors of the Health Center was. So it wasn't even anything that we in the Health Center could control. The municipalities, the way our charter was set up, yeah. would determine who our board members would be. So we could have zero users of the Health Center as the board, or we can have 100%. We, we never knew who <laughs> was going to be our, yeah. depending on how the elections went. And uh, so it got us to talk to a lot of community members, some of whom are just they ran for the health center board because they wanted to do something in town, these small rural towns, and sure. and it was a good thing to do. Um, but they weren't necessarily looking for health services, or they weren't patients. And others were definitely looking for health services for themselves and their kids. So the the board there was very, I used to word powerful, but not in the sense of, of um, exerting themselves. More because they really connected to the community. They really yeah. truly were elected by the community. It wasn't elected by our own board re-electing board members. Uh -huh. This is, you know, we read the papers and I'm like, who's that? Who on board members are? You know. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was fascinating. And um, and early on, uh, we then built a building uh, there. And uh, one day I got a knock on the door, and I wish I could remember his name, but it was early, early National Health Service Corps uh, staff member whose job was to go out and find places to, to put these doctors that we're now having National Health Service Corps pipeline uh -huh. issues. They're coming out next year, and we don't have enough places to put them in yet. You know, this is a brand new program. So they knocked on my door and uh, said, we've got these opportunities, and would you want to participate in it? We were in a, a 330 health center. It was, it was um, early in the health center world up there in, in Vermont. But we said, well, we already have doctors. They don't need any new doctors. Going to put the existing doctors into the core. So we got them into the core under the like, loan repayment kind of program. But then I said to him, but what I could use here was a large animal veterinarian. You know, you got one of those in the core? Because <laughs> <laughs> the farmers were all saying, you know, we got these cows and horses. And we need, and the health center had a, a field right behind it. We could literally have a barn of animals back there. So we almost opened up probably first community health center veterinary site. But we didn't do that. So, uh, <laughs> But the, the, the National Service Corps, they, they were... Their job was to get more access places, and if they had to put a veterinarian here just to get you guys into the system, maybe we'll do it. So, <laughs> so they, they 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 thought about it, but didn't come to be. So that was Vermont, and then when I got to Worthington, it was more of a bedroom community of the five colleges in Pioneer Valley of of uh, Amherst and Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Still farm oriented to a certain degree, um, but less based on the farming. Uh, economy and more on just surviving in um, you know, Western Massachusetts. Uh, so a lot of uh, people would live in the hill towns, Worthington being one of them, and get up in the morning and drive to UMass or Amherst College or Smith College and go to work. So we had a very educated residential population who uh -huh. wanted standards, uh, higher, you know, the highest standards possible for healthcare. That's what they come from, that's what they expected for their family, and that's what we were directed to deliver. And we did, I think, as most health centers do, we deliver great care. But that was a community that was more looking to be maybe not in control of the health center, but to be uh, in the management process of the health center and more closely because they felt they were all managerial level people of themselves and they could <laughs> help us manage it. And we actually had a very small staff. So in a lot of ways, we appreciated their, their support. And, and, and uh, assistance. So it was a very close working relationship with that uh, community. Uh, and the health center, eventually we opened up a second site in uh, Huntington, which is 15 miles away. That site was a totally different socio-demographic portrait. It was totally um, blue collar, 
higher unemployment rate because the paper mills in that, that time were starting to close and, and move out of Massachusetts. Uh -huh, yeah. And so the people that were in, working there were out of work. Alcohol, alcoholism was an issue. Uh, different caliber of, of need and population. So within our two health centers, one in Worthington and one in, in Huntington, it was a total different need based uh, service mix. We had to yeah. treat these people with uh, a, lot of, a lot of more Medicaid and a lot of more uh, alcoholism and substance use issues. And, and the Worthington side was kind of Blue Cross Blue Shield and you know, traditional family, uh -huh. and healthy stuff. So, so it was an interesting um, concept to run it as one system. And the money was up in Worthington. There was some endowment up there when they first there. got started. So they, they were not too happy about opening up this health center in Huntington because it wasn't their people. So very provincial. So uh, from that, I wound up going to Holyoke. And uh, it was a totally different scene because um, almost all of our patients uh, or all of our board members are really connected to the Latino community in one way or another. And the whole perspective of what is appropriate, what they need, how they can deliver it, what the difficulties are, the, the transient nature of people coming and going and sure. losing housing and being evicted and, and uh, having kids with uh, social problems. Uh, just with different intensity that was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. So, and you took all of that with you now. Um, I mean, you took all of your experience from Plainfield and, and Worthington to Holyoke. Um, what did you encounter in Holyoke that was unique and different? You well, said there were a lot of things in common, but there were, I'm well, sure. Well, you know what, so I can even remember in my interview to become the, the CEO of the health center in Holyoke, I was coming from a, you know, can-do health centers, we're gonna take over the world, you know, primary <laughs> care is the answer, you guys are running a primary care center. And the experience that they had had in the last few years before I got there was sort of a failing health center. They were, they were not doing well. And I think they were not confident that it could work in Holyoke. And I said, no, you, you, you've got it all wrong. You've got a lot of needs and you know, people want to work. We can make this a great place and primary mm -hmm. care is what we're all about. And so I, I, I entered Holyoke as a cheerleader, which was not my role in the two previous health center uh, jobs. And I, I just said, you know, you guys have to get behind this issue and mm -hmm. and have some confidence and we're going to grow it. And we did. We've grown from, when I got there, I think we had 30 employees and and today we have about 330 employees. So it was grown Big significantly. Yeah. And, and, um, and I think we are, uh, I'm, I've had my family members you know, treated at the health center. Um, I encourage everybody to come. It's the best health care in the valley. Um, we've got some big medical centers nearby with wonderfully trained and skilled clinicians, but they don't have the health center orientation. You know, they're not looking at the patient-centered issues. They're not looking at uh, really providing what the families need. They just do their work and ask the next person That's to come it. on in, right? Yeah. So I think uh, we truly have shown them, um, and I think the area has appreciated Holyoke does have, a, a, there's a center of excellence at, in Holyoke, and I think we are recognized in the area by these other centers, and mm -hmm. we've been successful in recruiting some of their providers to come work for us, and when we've interviewed, and they've been interviewing there and with us, we realized we're gonna get our fair share of those interviews, even though the, the bigger sites have some additional benefits and some more stature, uh, but we're gonna get the people that really wanna do the people's work and they're gonna to come to us yeah. and they're gonna feel good about it and they're gonna deliver great care, which we've always done. Well, and, and it is a much more urbane 
uh, community than the others that you were in. But it's still, you know, it's not Boston. Right. Uh, and it's not New York City. Uh, you must have faced some difficulties and challenges in recruiting staff, retaining staff, and as you expanded services. Yeah, we've had some uh, ups and downs over time, and you know, staff sometimes come in waves too. They, you know, all of a sudden life happens to a couple of different families in different times, but they all wind up leaving, and, and we have to go out and hire quickly. And and while we're hiring, the burdens on the docs that are there and the nurse practitioners. So we've had those issues. Uh, I'm happy today, as we're sitting here talking, to say that we are almost in a surplus of primary care providers at the moment. Two years ago, that wasn't the case, and two years from now, it might be the case again that uh, we will have shortage of doctors. But right now, we're actually recruiting really well, and we're we're doing some great stuff. We've got great services now that bring the doctors in. So we have um, one of the best pharmacies in the country, I think, at the Holyoke Health Center. Um, we announced that we started a pharmacy residency program. We are we with, have we in have robots. With, uh, no, it's we're it's we, your own. Yeah, it's our own. They they, wow. they match to us. Um, We've got a whole system of robots. We started a delivery system with couriers that are delivering meds to patients' homes who can't, you know, especially the older folks who have, you know, 10, 15 meds and they keep running out and they can't keep, it could be a mile to get to the health center and it could be February, it's wintertime, yeah, it's hard. So we want them to stay on the meds that they're supposed to be on, make sure they're paying attention, mm -hmm. good adherence. That stuff then helps the doctor say, you know what, if you can make sure my patients take the meds, my job as a physician is easier and more rewarding because we're seeing improvements in people's lives. Uh -huh. So I think um, things like putting a pharmacy in place that state-of-the-art and is leading the way, and we've gotten lots of recognition for um, integrating the pharmacy on each of the teams. They huddle once a week with the teams and they integrate uh, everything. Can't come out of the hospital and back into health center without stopping at the pharmacy and having a, a med review before you go back to the doctors. So pharmacies become integral to everything we do. And uh, the, I think the doctors today wouldn't, would quit if the pharmacy closed. I think it's that kind of, like, it's, it's a cr incredible. And you're not going to get that from the CVS, uh, Wings of the world. It's a, it's a volume game for them. It's how many meds can yeah. I sell and how many bottles of shampoo can I sell. We're just basically making sure the patients are adhering to the medication they're supposed to get. So I think that's... And that's, is the pharmacy, d does it service only... The Holyoke patient population? No, we have we have both the retail license and a clinic license. You do. So with 340B, uh, we are people. The mayor can walk in across the street from City Hall and uh -huh. get his meds filled with us. It, it's open to anybody, and we, we as manage. well. It should be in a yeah. community like that. You really yeah. want to integrate. The, we, and we are the only pharmacy downtown. Because interesting, when we built our building, which was an old building that we and we were. Early on, I worked a lot with Allison Coleman and the Newmarket tax credits mm -hmm. and historical tax credits and federal loan uh, guarantees to get funding. We needed about $20 million at that time to put the health center together. And the local banks were saying, there's not a building downtown Hoyek worth $2 million. Why would we loan you $20 million? So, you know, the, the low-income community, is, there's no value. Sure. You can put all this money into it. They, they, they can see the money that you're putting in, but if I sell the building from the bank's point of view, yeah. there's no value in it, so what's the guarantee? So we had to get the loan guarantee, which was critical, uh -huh. and we used new market tax credits and did all kinds of things to put a building together. The building that we bought was a big old department store in downtown, right across from City Hall. It was a cornerstone, flagstone ship, the flagship almost of downtown Holyoke. 
they had now gone out of business and closed. And there was a furniture store operating out of it, and they, this guy was in his 80s. He was about to close. You were about to get the big white elephant building in downtown Hollywood. It would be boarded up soon, right across City Hall. It would, nobody was going to yeah, have Hollywood. So we really were the first thread of redevelopment of downtown Hollywood. We put a lot of money into that corner. The building housed, before we got there, a Rite Aid pharmacy. They closed because they, they actually left the whole state of Massachusetts, the whole Rite Aid chain. And the, the guy that owned, Mr. Epstein, who owned the furniture store, said, if I could have put a pharmacy back in there, I would have never sold my building to you because that was enough income to you know, make my building work. Sure. Um, and I, we bought our own pharmacy, and when we opened up the health center, and he said, how did you get a pharmacy? Because I, I asked every pharmacist, can you come open up a pharmacy? It's already built, you know, just yeah. replace right in. Turnkey operation. The volume was there, you know, <laughs> don't ever even know you, they switch names. Um, I said, well, you know, Bill, you were selling Lazy Boy recliners and so forth. You know, <laughs> I've got 20,000 medical patients. It's easy for me to open up a pharmacy and make it work. You couldn't because you, you didn't have the, the concentration. So we, we've maintained that pharmacy commitment almost as a, a heritage, you know, lineage kind of issue for us. And we've also did, done a great amount of work on in dental care. So we now have um, uh, eight-person dental residency, pediatric dental residency program. Hmm. So um, going back to my days in Tooth Ferry in, in Vermont, it's like I need every kid to have a dental home, uh-huh. not just a screening by a franchise or a school right. that's coming Here by. Right, today, go on tomorrow. But I need a dental home for all my kids. And uh, there were no pediatric dentists really available. And the ones that were available didn't want to see Medicaid kids. So um, mm-hmm. we had to do our own. And so we were able to start a residency program originally with Lutheran, working with that system, and now it's part of the NYU system. Um, but we are taking kids into the OR for se- severe cases. We're working with cleft palate issues with Shriners Hospital. We're doing incredible work. Shriners now wants us to open up a dental clinic in the Shriners Hospital because they have a fair amount of, really, uh, you know, the cleft palate oh, yeah. is very intense. So um, we've grown dental to be probably one of the largest dental practices in the state of Massachusetts because we've added residencies, we've added adult kids, we have surgery, we have endodontics, we have everything. So on every level, I think the health center has achieved uh, almost the highest level of, of service delivery that that particular issue requires. Pharmacy, we're top of the game. Dental, I think we're on the top of the game. Medical, we're definitely on the top of the game. And I think the people in Holyoke feel very proud that we are their health center. There's zero graffiti on our walls. We've been there for 15 years now, and I think that's the respect of the community saying, this is our health center, and and we're going to keep it um, looking good. It's an urban core. And that's why when when the hurricane hit, you know, we watched it come on the news, and it didn't have the full impact until you heard how severely it hit that island. And my entire staff, I'd say 90% of my staff were Puerto Rican. So my staff were, where's my mother? Where's my brother? Uh, all, all their all back relatives on the back island, on the though. island. Like, they can't, no phones, <laughs> no internet, this was when, How long ago? It's a year and a half, almost two years now. Last oh, yeah. September 20th of 17. <clears throat> so, um, and we had patients who were all, almost all Puerto Rican. And then everybody in the community, even if they weren't our patients, the community was basically Puerto Rican. Sure. So Holyoke was like, the hurricane hit Holyoke, even though we were thousands of miles yeah. away. And so we realized we had to do something. Nobody knew what to do, quite frankly. It was like, you know, whatever you could do, do. And um, we were able to get through a city, local city councilor who was a friend of mine who knew a local Puerto Rican pilot who was working for like American Airlines or something. And we were able to get a, a um, private jet donated 
to us through like one of these, you know, I, I put my jet on call and I get a, a tax write-off. Yeah, of like a Gulfstream. So we flew down in Gulfstream. And I said to the people flying us down, whose jet am I on? They said, oh, we can't tell you. We're not allowed to tell you. So I don't you know. <laughs> you still been, don't know? Could have been the Koch brothers. I don't know who's Yeah, yeah. Was, you, know. Um, you know what? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it. It. I was just, I'd like to thank them. Basically, yeah. I'd, you know, I'd like to say, thanks for donating it. And um, so we flew down, you know, stacked to the gills with supplies and materials that uh, us and others had been assembling, but we brought it all to the airport and loaded it up. And we came back with, you know, a group of primarily older people and a couple of grandparents and grandchildren of like, you know, the parent was behind trying to figure out what to do with the house, but they sent the kid and the grandparent family back uh, north, you know, get out of here, go get some sure. safety. Um, and, you know, a couple months later, we ultimately, we never stopped taking people in. So some, we had a couple of flights of our own, but then they started boarding the commercial flights and because Puerto sure. had a big population of Puerto Ricans, it was a natural draw of people leaving the island. We grew by a thousand patients that year of evacuees from Puerto Rico that became Hoya Center patients. Wow. And most of them, we believe, are still in the area. They're not all in the health center because once they got here, they were doubling up and tripling up with people. Oh, and yeah. Holyoke is a small city, couldn't accommodate that kind of load. So they started getting housing where they can get it. So they're living someplace in the area, but not in, um, not necessarily in Holyoke. But and as a result of that, we've got this nice new relationship with everybody on the island because we were we met a lot of oh, the health centers down here, and, and now it's a bridge, you know, between the health centers. Oh, without a doubt, a superhero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's just even like what can we, what can we continue to do? So we're now thinking we're not it's not yet set in stone of bringing a pediatric dental uh, rotation down to the island and going to the health centers and providing pediatric services wow. uh, for the, those who don't have good pediatric dental um, access or general dentists who are doing pediatrics, but they love to get some support by other people yeah, who sure. train specifically, and then maybe they would you know, train the trainer kind of thing. And yeah. They'll start to do more of it on their own. So I think the Holyoke Health Center now is, in a, is a great place to say, you know, we've been with the movement for a long time. We've seen the changes go. Uh, I used to say to people, when Romney Care came, People say, that must be impacting you a lot. And I said, no, no, because we're all on Medicaid. <laughs> we're, we're, we're below the radar. Uh -huh. So when, when Romney Care brought more people into the system, all of our people were already in the system. So it didn't really affect us much. And then when Obamacare came, it was the same thing. Holyoke continued to operate because we didn't bring Same thing. We were pretty much a single-payer system back in the 70s. You know, between Medicare and Medicaid, almost all my patients are covered. That was it. So, so uh, we have a lot of uh, insured population, and the Puerto Rican population was a more difficult one because they would leave the island with Medicaid and they didn't want to give it up when they came north because then when they went back home, because, you know, they, they fly up for the seasons. Sure. And when they went back home, they wouldn't have Medicaid anymore, and they'd have to get on the back of the line and wait a year or two before they got Medicaid. Wow. So they'd come north with Puerto Rico mass Medicaid, which we couldn't bill. So we would basically do free care for those folks. Oh, boy. They were insured, and if there's a big problem, they might fly back to Puerto Rico, maybe yeah. have it tr treated down there. So they, so they wanted to hold on to their Puerto Rico Medicaid. Because it was, they, 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 they were still it. basically Puerto Rican residents, and that's where their home was. And that's mm -hmm. so, so while they're visiting the north, like in the summertime, they left Puerto Rico, and some of the kids would come north and stay with relatives, and then spring, you know, in the fall, they'd go back home. Um, they would face no Medicaid down there and not a lot of good access to care. So to them, it was more important to hold the Medicaid in Puerto Rico and, and get free care from us in Massachusetts. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, they learned how to play that game maybe appropriately. A, maybe, maybe a bit unfair, but I can also 
understand wanting to hold on to something that they have. Um, yeah, I, you know, we we dealt with it. You know, it's like that's life, and that's what we're getting, and we got to make that work. And so uh, it was frustrating at some times, um, but uh, especially the years we had some bad financial years, and I'm like, oh, it'd be nice if we got some of that revenue from from the Puerto Rico <laughs> Medicaid, but. Um, it was what it was. Uh, it, it, I think we're always happy to has be able to serve it. Has the island sufficiently recovered oh, not from the hurricane? No, not at no, all, no. huh? Well, you know, the, there's the hurricane and there's economics of the island, which was, you know, yeah. a basket case before the hurricane. And so that's just gotten worse. Now it's a political basket now case. Now you've got politics, economics, social, and, and weather, climate. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really... Um, so far, we're all thankful that uh, another significant storm hasn't hit the island since Maria. Uh, although, in talking to <coughs> my colleagues down there, I think they all have uh, much better investments in solar roofs and other kinds of issues right now. Um, and I think the health centers down there have now, as a result of the, the, the work that they did after Maria, the health centers in Puerto Rico, their stature has been enhanced because they remained operational throughout. You know, some were closed for a couple of days and then they got back and mm -hmm. some of the staff had their own staff, you know, personal problems and everybody had to deal with things, but the health centers continued to work. So when we flew in a week after the hurricane, we were able to go to health centers that were functioning. The private sector all bought a ticket on Delta and they flew to Miami to wait at the hurricane and they thought they'd be back in a couple of days, you know, so they left, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then there's nothing to come back to and they couldn't get flights back. And so the private sector basically was um, dismantled. Little by little, it came back, but it's not as big today as it was before the hurricane. So I think you have a smaller private sector now and more reliance on the on health, health centers. centers themselves. And yeah. I also heard some of the health centers tell me that they've had the private docs come back and say, my office is closed, there's no water, no electricity, can I work for you? And some of them are now working at the health centers, and they've never gone back to open their offices. Wow. It wasn't. So I think there's, there's a shift there, um, which was interesting, and I think... Um, it's a smaller population now by, the, by size. The economics, I don't think, are any better. I think there's a little bit better infrastructure. There's some federal grant dollars and, and HRSA dollars, mm -hmm. I think, that have gone into Puerto Rico to help them invest. And I think well, I'm expecting that they're using those dollars wisely. But, uh, you know, the definition of an emergency is like you never know what it's going to be and when it's going to exactly. come. So do we invest in the right product? Well, you know, we, <laughs> we thought it was a hurricane. Maybe the next thing's going to be a snowstorm. Who knows? You know, I don't think Puerto Rico's going to have a snowstorm. But wow. But I think, um, but our relationship to that process, and I can say our staff, my medical director, Dr. Esparza, immediately put the call out that, you know, Puerto Rican families are coming north. We have to make room for them. And every, we, we put on evening shifts. We did all kinds of things to make room, to make sure that we didn't keep our existing community patients from getting into services while also having room for these new people who were our guests at that moment. Yeah. We didn't know what was going to happen with them. So I think the whole staff came together. And I think um, the pride that our staff had, that we were responding to the hurricane, was very visible. I've never seen them walk around that way um, for anything before or since. Um, they actually felt a health center up here in Massachusetts will help another needy population someplace else in the country that we can relate to. And not only are we taking good care of ourselves up here, but we're taking good care of our family. The spirit of giving, else. yeah. And I think it was, you know, um, 
a sense of accomplishment, pride, um, humanity. You know, I think all those good, all the good feelings for the right reasons sure. all came out. And I think um, we're, I, I think we're building on that since. Uh, there's some evaluations going on right now, and I, I've got these evaluators from various universities that have been doing studies on how does a small place like Holyoke sure. take in so many people. Um, and what they're saying to me is, you know, you've saved lives. I mean, we, we've heard from people, you know, that they've told us if it wasn't for A or B or C. And I know some of the cases that we may have had that kind of impact. I didn't know some of the other ones that, you know, and they could be proverbial, you yeah. know, saved my life. But, but I think um, uh, it's, it's helped the health center make more, bring the awareness to the larger community that this is an issue, the type of issue that a nonprofit organization like a health center can lead on. And we need yeah. to look to these guys for leadership because the hospital didn't do it. My local hospital said, I mean, it's a small community hospital. I can't help these Puerto Rican people. <laughs> and I said, but they're, show, they're, show, they're getting off the plane. They're coming to Hoyuk. Yeah. They will be what in What are you going to do? You can't <laughs> you better respond get ready. like that. You know, they, they, you know <laughs> let's work together. He, yeah. he felt it's, it's the federal government has to take care of that. So I think um, that also changed my feeling about working with some of the the local health resources, because I realized that they were never going to understand what we we're trying to do. Yeah. And now we're in the wonderful ACO, which now puts us in a different relationship to these hospitals. Because, oh, you, you know, formed an ACO? Well, we're part of the, the community care cooperative, you know. Oh, okay. It's got Manny from East Boston. It's got Brockton. It's got Worcester. So we're seven, 18 of us now are in an ACO. Wow. And no insurance company and no hospital. So the entire ACO structure is based on primary care. And we're working closely with the state Medicaid program. And I think it's another sense of the health centers kind of growing into their own. And yeah. we don't need these other structures, which are really just, you know, I, you need hospital care at some point. But you don't need it to be driven by the surgeons and by the high-cost issues. You need sure. it to meet the primary care needs of people. And uh, we certainly can manage our own fees, so we don't need an insurance company yeah. to tell us we can't, can't send a patient to the hospital you know, with, without prior authorization <laughs> or something. So we are now at full risk for our patients. The state is giving us data on risk issues and, and, and cost issues and targets, and if we do well in You get a per capita cost, payment, do you? No, we're building, we, we build the uh, mass health system on a fee-for-service basis okay. if nothing changed. We didn't have to build a network of providers because basically everybody in mass health in the state is the network, so yep. I could send a kid to Boston Children's if I want to, and I don't need to ask the local hospital for prior wow. to, to send them. Not that we can do that a lot, but we're totally flexible about where we're going to send patients to, as long as there's a Medicaid program and that's like Any specialist that takes mass health is in our network, so um, we don't spend any money on network development and marketing like that. And I think the state's giving us targets, and so it's at the end of the year, you know, $700 per member per month, whatever cost. And, yeah. And if you could get it down to five or $600, then there's money to be split between the state and the health centers. So we're, at that point, we're just starting to see the results of two or three years of putting it together. Uh, we're taking care of patients. We are... Um, Staffing up for the new approaches to some of the care issues. We're, we've hired staff that we've never had before in nurse complex care mm -hmm. management and in and data management and population health. So all 18 of us meet. We're, we're board of directors, two people from each health center, and that's how we make all of our decisions. It's a pretty equitable model, and we all have a role in the So you're going to test the theory that, uh, that if you invest enough in the well-being of the people you serve, 
there can be a robust return in the form of reduced costs and shared savings. And I think what we would love to all get to is see the, enough of these savings available to us quickly that we could invest back in the social determinant issues as well. Uh -huh. So can we build housing in our communities? Can we build, improve the school systems? Can we sure. do things that are going to make our patients healthier and drive their, their costs down because they're going to be living a healthier life? Um, and all of us are excited about that. Each of us in each community has probably a different focus of what they'd like to do. I've uh -huh. actually had a strong focus in education. I've, I started a charter school in Holyoke about 10, 15 years ago. And I'm, I'm committed that uh, the kids in our community have to be so well cared for in every level that they will have middle class futures ahead of them and they'll get out of poverty. And if they fail in school, blessing, if yeah. they fail in school, they're going to be sick their whole life because they're going to be poor their whole life. And if they're sick their whole life, and I'm the healthcare provider on a basically a, a risk basis, that's you're going to have a bear. So, of so end I've of met life. with the superintendent of the schools, and I said, yeah. you know what, your students are my patients, and if you don't get them a good education, I'm going to be paying the bills for a long time. And so it, it, we have to work together. And uh -huh. so, so I think those kinds of investments is what I'm looking forward to. I think. We can pull our clinical staffs together, and I think we already have what we need. I don't think we have to do too much more. But once the returns start coming in on the preliminary investment, uh -huh. I think now how do we take the dollars and bring about the secondary line of uh, investment in the community, which I think will be the long-lasting impact then. That really is. Yeah. That's, that's the... Uh, get, get a kid out of high school, into college maybe, that kid's going to be much better off than a kid that drops out. That's the golden cup. The 15-year-old dropout is going to be a problem for society yep. for a long time. That's right. So I think, you know, we've got an opportunity to kind of roll it forward and play it forward and, and um, help the systems and hopefully at the national level we'll see some sanity and and how healthcare is funded and, and provided. Don't and, count on it anytime soon other than what we're able to accomplish. Well, I think we're, we're, we're doing our own, which is why we're so happy that we can yeah. succeed without the insurance company and the hospitals are not taking the district and giving us a portion of the district for our needs, but we're actually getting all the district and figuring out what we want to do with those investments. Yeah. So I think we are, in, at least in our ACO, um, showing that we can be trusted with, with the tools and the resources um, and, um, and, and with the mission of improving health. And I think uh, the state is been a big supporter of ours. They were a little nervous at the beginning, you know, could you guys really pull uh -huh. this off? You know, let's... You know, we want Blue Cross to do it. We want the insurance companies to do it. Yeah. And uh, we said, no, we, we think we could do it. And I think at the moment, we're the largest Medicaid ACO in the state. So we have more members in our ACO than any, wow. other, any of the hospital systems have put together. Even, so I think that's great. I think, I think it, it just just Even showed. bigger than Mother General, huh? Mass General. Yeah, I, I don't know what their, their Medicaid ACO size is like. Some of those health centers that feed Mass General are in our ACO. Yeah. And so they, they've had to make decisions about telling the hospital, I'm not going to be in your ACL, I'm going to be on my own. So, Interesting. Uh, so we've, um, and some folks have had, you know, the hospitals have said, you can't get out of my ACO because I need you and because I fund this or oh, that for you, I won't captives. let you go. So yeah, we've had those those issues. So well, I, you, know, I, you know, when I think of where I am right now and, you know, I'm kind of uh, thinking about the retirement process, but I think we've come so far along so many spectrums. Um, and the, the different communities that I've been in, um, at the end of the day, healthcare is healthcare. You could be sure. rural, you could be urban, uh, you could be really starting from scratch and building a new system or taking over an existing system and 
trying to you know move it along. I think if you bring in the good providers and you have a good mission focus, um, the community will respond to it. And I think um, our national movement has really led the way and will continue to lead the way because I don't think there's anybody out there coming close to doing what we're doing commitment-wise, vision-wise. And I think how our success is, I think, going to do us well for the future. And, you know, we can get through the rough spots when they're, because we, we do hang together, and I think that's great for us. Yeah. And after the rough spots, um, I think there'll be progress. So you are bullish on the future for health centers. You know what? I think we've already, I think the whole national movement has proven it. What we're doing in our little ACO is very much more intensifying the, op, the, the, the outcome, yeah. the, the possibility, testing the, you know, the, what can really be accomplished. So we've, we've done it on small scale, intense, and on the broad scale. Um, and I think, as you're aware, I think there's so many legislators out there that know that we are the answer, and, and yeah. um, they have no plans. There's, there's no plan out there. Other <laughs> no, than that's what, true. What's happening right now. And every year that goes by, I think we're stronger. And so we're just, we've become the, uh, the go-to, and uh, we're no longer the upstarts trying to show the world the that The future is ours. We are now there. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Thanks for your uh, lifetime commitment well, and you too. to this system and you of too. care. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go out in the sunset together. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs>